0: Hi there, and welcome to the Creative Endeavor podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. And in this episode, I'm talking to Sean Cheatham, who's got to be up there with some of the best realist oil painters working today. Now, I've been aware of Sean's work for quite some time now. And truth be told, when I first started painting figures and portraits, I had this file on the desktop of my computer that I would look at whenever I wanted inspiration with portraits and figure works. And in this file, I had some old master paintings, as well as some of those top artists at the time. And I must admit, I had a couple of Sean Cheatham's paintings in there. So ever since I first saw his work, And man, it was so slick. He just had this way of really creating such a painterly surface, but at the same time, making these works look so realistic. And ever since I first laid eyes on his work, even though they were just reproductions on a screen, I was just like, man, this is inspiring stuff. It's the kind of work that really makes you want to strive to be more as a painter. Now Sean has also built up not only an incredible body of work, but so much experience working in the industry for several years now, well over a decade. And in that time he's been teaching his techniques and passing on what he knows as an artist. And so I wanted to reach out to Sean, have a chat to him about how he started his artistic journey, but also where he's going from here. And also how he's going to adapt, move and change with some of the challenges that we're facing today as creative professionals. Now before we launch into this episode, just bear in mind this episode was recorded a couple of months ago, but that's not to say that the information is not relevant and current from an artistic standpoint. I'm sure this will really stand the test of time, but when we're referring to current events, and I was talking to Sean here in this conversation during the full lockdown when COVID-19 was really in the full swing of things. So bear in mind when we're having to chat about this, this was recorded a couple of months ago. So that being said, let's jump right into this conversation with Sean Cheatham and The Creative Endeavor. Well, Sean Cheatham, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome to The Creative Endeavor.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's kick things off here with what I guess is on everybody's mind and uh, just to address the, the elephant in the room, so to speak. Um, I want to ask, how are you guys doing uh, with this uh, lockdown situation? Uh, how is this affecting you on a personal level, but also your art?
1: Well firstly I think it's hasn't affected us that much yet because we like to stay home and work anyway and it's still kind of fresh I suppose. Um luckily we came we were like when right before we had to kind of stay home we were in Chattanooga. We almost got stuck out there but we were working so we had a little bit of of a job right before it started which was sort of helpful I think it alleviated some of the stress even with a few sales and stuff so I haven't really had to like figure out a new hustle quite yet Um, and I've got some commissions in progress and some other freelance stuff that I'm still owed money for so everything sort of like I just all of a sudden had to stay home and work which was cool because I wanted to work on some knife stuff and I had nothing else to do and except time and so it was great but I'm starting to think about and I got my bills paid for the first month of it and then now I'm thinking about you know, now we got to figure out what's happening for the future. Um, but so far, not too stressful. Um, Kate does a lot of the shopping, so she has to go out a lot and deal with the world. And I've gone out there, too. That part's a little weird, especially in Los Angeles, because it's a little busier than you'd hope it would be sometimes. And just kind of going through the motions of all that stuff is a little strange. But social distance is good. I like that. And I like not seeing people that much. You know, I really don't have a huge problem with it. Um And my son lives in Northern California, so he had spring break in the middle of this and I was scheduled to have him for some time. So I still was able to go pick him up and bring him down and do school in LA for a while. So that was super nice. So really not too crazy, but more to come, I guess.
0: So how do you, so you're you're probably like a lot of the other artists out there um, in terms of, we're looking at this situation, we know there's gonna be some sort of economic fallout are you thinking of how you're going to pivot, how you're going to maybe diversify? What, what are some of the strategies that you think you'll put in place just off the top of your head of how you're yeah. going to weather this storm that's coming economically?
1: I am like everybody who teaches starting to go more online. I've only dabbled in it, not through like just through other um, companies who have sort of done all the production. So I'm going to have to kind of get used to doing a little bit of production myself. And I'm okay with that. i Got, you know, people who are interested in sort of trying it out with me. So that's good being sort of tests and that's helpful. Um, Probably going to have to think more about prints and and affordable art and things like that for a little while. I don't think my art's super affordable. I'm not going to start trying to sell big pieces right now to people in this time when everyone's looking for, you know, help otherwise. Um, So maybe that I've started doing more freelance work anyway uh, um, because of a few jobs I had done. So that might be something that stays steady. Hard to say, but I think some online teaching, you know, like get a store up online because I've got, I do have some prints I need to sell from a, from a job I did, um, for tool for these, uh, for one of their tour shows. And there's people waiting on those. So I know I can kind of make some money off of that
0: tell me tell me about i because i saw that come up on your your instagram feed and and i thought that was so extraordinary this um this work that you were doing for for tool was that an album cover you were working on i worked
1: on a booklet for the album it wasn't a cover um they but they did a whole package for this new album and i think they had been i don't know 13 years since they did an album or something like that so it was a big they put a lot into this big project and I just, uh, we were on our way to Texas for some workshop stuff, and uh, I got a call from Adam, the guitar player, to see if I could do some portraits for the album. And I was like, definitely. (laughs) I had like, I think I had three days to do it or something. So we had to like work quick and had to get them photographed according to what I needed based on what they wanted from me. And so it was just like a quick thing. Adam's a great supporter of the arts, and I've known him for a little while now. So that's why um, we were able to connect on that. And then later down the line, um, they're hiring a bunch of artists to do the tour posters and he just asked me if I'd be interested in doing one. He didn't think I would be for some reason. Like somehow I was too busy for that or something, but I was totally excited to do that too. Tons of freedom and just like, it's been fun and, you know, met a lot of interesting people. I've even gotten some other jobs from it, which has been cool.
0: It's it's interesting because you you do you do so much more than just you know paint. I mean, I'm seeing knives as well. What what's going on with the knives? What's behind that? That's so interesting to see you kind of move from these amazing portrait and figurative works now into creating some like really exquisite pieces there.
1: Um, I you know, there's a lot of parts to that story. I guess my dad was a jeweler my whole life, so that had to play into some of my interests um i also used to work for my uncle when i was a teenager who was a contractor so i had to build stuff a lot with him which was great learned a lot of those kinds of skills from him and um also when i was a teenager though i had interest in like the renaissance fair and things like that and so with with that uncle we tried making swords with no knowledge of any metallurgy or anything but just grinding steel to look like swords and also made some chain mail and um another friend of my dad's was a sheet metal worker who did he just did sheet metal so i was like well can i make it can we make like a crusader helm or something like that because it was round so i started doing that with him so i've always kind of had this interest and i've had a fascination with japanese swords too for a long time and studied them just in books you know i thought it was really interesting um also one of my dad's friends who he was a he's a collector of swords a, a, a jeweler friend had Given me a sword, an old Japanese sword from the 1700s, when just a long time ago, because he had bought some art for me. And so we did like this trade thing too. So that really piqued my interest for sure. And um, I happened to be stopped by, visit a knife maker in Sweden just randomly, and it kind of sparked it again. Maybe like, I don't even know how many years ago, seven years, six years, something like that. And I just realized it doesn't take that much gear, I guess, when I saw his setup to, to do this thing. So I started researching and found classes in LA and just took a blacksmithing class, became quick friends with the guy who ran that class. And um, I, then he just started teaching me stuff. And then found a guy in San Francisco who's become a good friend. And he's taught me to make Damascus. And I just kind of been like poking around at it as a side thing, because painting was my hobby. And now it's my job. And it's not as fun as it used to be. I don't necessarily do it for the reasons I used to do it. I do it to pay my bills. And so I think, you know, this, maybe the obsession part of it took off because of that fact where it's just a hobby where I can really get lost in it with no idea of like sales or any of that coming into play while I'm working. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think, things that led to it, but I don't know. I'm like super obsessed with it right now. It's what I would like to do every day, but I don't want it to be my job. So that doesn't really work out.
0: It, that What you just said there is really fascinates me because that to me is the crux uh, of the, the it's the artist's dilemma. As soon as we attach a monetary value to our creative passion now suddenly we've got a real, a real problem on our hands because now it becomes that work and it becomes this beast now that you have to feed. And so suddenly we find we're not loving it as much. That, that's fascinating yeah. to hear you say that because I mean, I, I look at someone like yourself, you know, a magnificent painter, as somebody who is, you know, from the outside looking in, you're dialed in and, and you probably are really, but it's, it's interesting to hear you say that about it becoming work. And then happen to have that side project, that's, that's fascinating, man.
1: It's for, you know, the other thing about it too, is like, I, I don't mind work. I don't, I like work, but I like knowing that I can feed the mouths I need to feed, you know, or pay the bills if I'm going to be putting that work onto my schedule, you know? And so like, I've actually embraced this illustration thing. What I, that's what I got my degree in. And I've started to embrace it a little more because it's like, it's still art. I'm still painting for somebody else, you know, whether it's a gallery or a commission or whatever, but there's also like a number, the amount of money I'm going to make and, and when I'm going to get paid when I'm done with the job. And like, it's just like, I have to make money because California's super expensive. That's, that's, you know, no secret there. And, and like, I can't just be a starving artist. I'm a little too old for that. So I got to hustle and I don't know the, the freelance work has been cool. I like, you know, being told, Given an idea and just trying to make it work. I, I think I definitely prefer that over doing gallery work now where I can, you know, maybe I get to come up with the idea, but I still have to think about whether it's sellable or not in some ways. I don't have to, but I've had enough shows where I didn't make any money. Mm. And so I just kind of don't want to do that. A handful of years ago, I was scheduled to do a solo show and, um, it was in the middle of that where I was every day just working on it. But all I was thinking about, is anyone going to like this? Is anyone going to buy this? Is, am I going to make any money on this show? Whatever. And I started to realize this is not why I, I started this career ever. And it was just getting to the point where it wasn't. I couldn't produce good work that way. At least work that like I felt good about. And that to me was the most important thing. Because if it doesn't sell, I want to at least like it.
0: Mm.
1: So I keep it.
0: Let me ask you then: Why, why, why did you start this in the first place? What was that initial like love for painting, drawing, illustration, or what have you? What was that? What was that feeling like for you when you really were like, I, "Oh man, I got to do this"?
1: I don't know if I ever had that huge "aha" moment because I've sort of grown up around art and been in a family of artists. Um, so I think that like. While I maybe didn't realize it would be my career, I've done it a lot for a long time, and it's been around. And my even my dad, he was a jeweler, but like, and he'd go to work at five in the morning every day and come home, you know, at night. But like when we were really young, I remember he was still into drawing, and he was very supportive of drawing, and and we'd all draw together. And then my mom, she's from Hawaii. of Chinese heritage and that side of the family, there's artists like that went to like academic schools in China and, and did stuff like that. So I always had it around. People who would, a lot of our family would move to the States and then I just, you know, like one in particular, my uh, mom's cousin Owen, he was amazing artist, still is, but he does graphic stuff. But like as a child, you know, we'd be at Christmas dinner or whatever, my dad would pass out on the couch and I'd see him do these like pencil drawings that look like academic stuff you know we might see on the internet nowadays and it's just like of my dad sleeping and this is what I grew up with so I couldn't really talk to him but we draw and, and whatever and so I was always around it uh, my, my younger brother's an artist by trade also he does backgrounds for the Simpsons uh, my older brother's an engineer but he also drew you know it was just something that we all did and and like I thought I didn't think it was a career choice it was just part of life in my family, but then i also had a cousin who went to art center before me she's my mom's cousin so she's older but she did um some stuff there and and kind of like introduced me to some other some of the illustration aspects of 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 the arts and stuff so i started to really get into that and want to work on star wars that was kind of my the thing why i'd studied illustration i didn't know really about this like like fine art or the gallery world you know i knew i knew about museums and stuff but to me it was like illustration was art like storyboards you know drawing characters that kind of stuff and so that was sort of the main goal when i decided finally i'm not going to be like a firefighter or or whatever an astronaut or something that you think about when you're a child and i'm going to go into art so it was to, it was definitely to do illustration hmm.
0: So, so Star Wars was your thing growing up, then, huh? So, I I think, yeah, yeah, I can imagine, you know, somebody like you, just you know, as a kid watching that and just going, "Wow!" You know, I gotta, I, I want to paint the Millennium Falcon now.
1: Yeah, I loved like seeing in the books like the guys that were painting, even the oil-painted, matte paintings for the backgrounds; those were mind-blowing. But just yeah, all the characters drawing those are insane. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you love those. I mean, oh, dude, yeah,
0: 100. You, You know, my my thing growing up was um was Alien. So I yeah. I I was like really obsessed with uh Giger uh at the time but I was just constantly drawing Alien and then it was Predator and then a little bit of Star Wars stuff but it was mostly yeah. I was just obsessed with the Xenomorph obsessed
1: yeah. with it yeah. Yeah. Know,
0: awesome. A dark childhood. My my father let me watch the original. And yeah, shout out to dad. Uh, let me watch the original when I was six years old. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> it did, it did, I don't think it did any permanent damage. <laughs> but yeah, it might
1: have actually, it was inspiration. Apparently.
0: Maybe, maybe. But uh, it's a pretty dark movie for a kid to be watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I I I find it fascinating, you know that that the um the medium of film and the way they used to create those. I mean, now it's all digital, and there's a, there's an art form to that for sure. But I, I find it fascinating how it was painted by hand on glass yes. plates, yes. and you'd scratch a hole so in the cool. glass pe- plate, and that's where the live action would occur. And I was just like, so
1: That's amazing. Yeah, those I have some of those books still, and they're just still unbelievable. Mm.
0: Yeah, there, there was an artist that I had in my file, I, and I still have, Like, and i got to tell you, okay, a l- little bit of a fanboy moment here, Sean. I, I have this file um, that I, every computer that I've had, I've dragged this file onto the desktop, and it's art inspiration, okay. and I've got one of yep. your paintings in that file. Um, oh, cool. uh, um amongst yeah. you know several other you know living masters but uh, uh I also have like a lot of those glass plate paintings of uh, matte paintings from you know Peter Ellenshaw and, and Treasure Island and you know Ben-Hur oh, and, and and of course Star yeah, Wars nice. and Alien and all these you know Dune um it's just fascinating oh, yeah. how, how And that, that, you know, I I don't know about you, but that to me, that was the first real wake up call for me about what was possible with paint, that you could actually trick somebody into believing that it was real. And it's like somebody did that by hand. What?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't even know when I really looked into the art of that stuff. I'm starting to feel a little old. So it's hard to remember, you know, how, like how long ago something was where those feelings changed or whatever. But also, I uh, there was a guy, Eric Tiemens, I don't know if you know that guy, but he does some painting stuff and he was working, he worked for George Lucas and worked on Star Wars. I, it was at the time, like in the late 90s, mid to late 90s when I met him because I was just, I graduated high school and was having to think about college and that's when my cousin, she was engaged to him at the time and he was he was working on Star Wars he was doing he was like big time you know george's right-hand man and stuff so i got exposed to that world a little bit through him and that kind of made me feel like this thing as a career is possible and so he was the guy really that kind of i think made me think that i could do like there's a career in this and like i really looked up to that part of him they didn't that didn't work out with them so i kind of lost touch with him for a little while but like that was one of the inspirations and he went to art center too but he was really working on star wars and he's in all all the books and the art of star wars since the like when they did the remakes or whatever they were the uh when they redid the original ones i think from back then
0: yeah that's uh that's fascinating i still remember that time like that that happened where when they remade those originals that happened right about the time i was a senior in high school they started bringing out the, okay. the new digitized i think we might be the same age roughly i don't know do you mind me asking how old you are sean i'm
1: 42
0: okay R- roughly within the same ballpark i guess i guess but yeah that that okay. i i still remember that time and going but i also grew up with the original but there was something so beautiful about the uh that gritty quality of uh the way they did things by like physically blowing up plastic models in a studio and filming it. That was so cool.
1: They ruined those movies when they did the digital stuff. I was excited because I was I think I was in college at Art Center. So you know it's like all people who grew up with Star Wars. We got to go see them and it was exciting to go, you know, go see that stuff again and it, the effects weren't that great I, I didn't I don't feel like they they did an improvement but it was still fun that they were back in theaters and like yeah. there was that hype again you know yeah. for sure and then they started doing when they started doing the prequels or whatever I don't remember which order they go in but that, I kind of was in college for that too and those were okay I guess but then no then they no
0: weren't. no they weren't at all Pretty stop <laughs>
1: That's true. Like, the whole Jar Jar Banks.
0: Yeah, that, the truth
1: is, I hate those. I don't watch those ever. Those are the, my least favorite. And I haven't even really watched a bunch of the new ones because they're just not that good anymore. I do feel like during that time, like, that's when it started to be... With the prequels where they just started, it just started to be eye candy, but too much. Just, like, technology was more present, and I feel like they ruined those movies. Like, the the original movies had so much solitude and open space and then those prequels were like every inch of the screen was filled with something moving around but again like some of it like i was exciting like darth maul was kind of exciting during that time but then every other character was terrible or something it was yeah. again just still like writing star wars was fun but looking back i will not watch those movies <laughs> too many whiners i guess they've always had whiny whiny characters but
0: why Whine- whiners weird. okay <laughs>
1: Winers, yeah. Like, what's his name? That little Anakin kid was such a little whiner the whole time. <laughs> little tri-babies. But I guess Luke Skywalker Walker always was, too. He had a little whiny voice. He, that he, guy. Star-
0: he started off pretty whiny right there in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it ended up being a complete okay. badass in the end, I think. Um, That's true. You know, I, I but it's interesting the way that series of of movies went and the way kind of I, I'm watching this as well, just watching culture in general, television and movies, and just going, is nobody having any good ideas anymore? Like we get some blips on the on the the horizon every now and again, and, and as we go along, we'll see something. It'll be like, oh, that's cool, oh, that's cool. Like for me, there's a handful of, and I look at film and, and television as just another art form, but some of it, it just seems like this constant regurgitation of somebody's well that worked once in the 70s and 80s let's remake it let's do it again
1: oh there's so many remakes i'm sure there's like a you know thousands being remade right now we don't even know about yet
0: yeah well they did to be ruined they did the dark crystal i refuse to watch the dark crystal i refuse
1: okay i didn't even know they did that (laughs)
0: Dude, the the new a new de- Netflix special of The Dark Crystal has been brought out. I think it's Netflix, or I don't know. I canceled all my subscriptions. I'm like, I'm not watching this garbage anymore. Too much to paint, yeah. John. There's too much to paint.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: it's true. <laughs> maybe maybe we <laughs> should get back to that. Maybe we should get back to that. Nah, I mean, I'm definitely painting still, you know, but yeah. for work. Yeah. So let me let me ask you. Let's let's. Uh, let's go back i get this question a bunch from people you know who are following my work and so i always love asking this question to whoever's on the podcast about how did you how did you start take me back to like your training and maybe some of the things that you were going through to build up this skill you know i've heard a bit about your your influences as a child and what you're kind of growing up around but what was it like to start to really get your teeth into the formal part of this this process of of engaging with technique
1: oh man it was exciting i went so i went to college at art center in pasadena which is uh, i went studied illustration that was my degree um but in that we had to it was, was there's a lot of foundation figure drawing painting and I don't know man I, just something about being in that environment meeting people like me I was only 20 when I start when I got got there but the average age of like entering age was 27 at the time so it was all older people I was one of the young ones people who had like kind of done a little bit of life and worked and realized you know I'm going to commit to being an artist and like spend you know you're going to go in some debt to do go to school like that and you know people who are serious so the competition was serious too like it was every class was, was like whether people did really cool figurative stuff or not people were very talented and had a lot of creativity and, and a lot there was a lot of hustle but it was just like a it was a good time before kind of schools I think I don't know school like art school to me isn't the same as it used to be but I guess nothing is maybe it's me maybe it's society I don't really know you know I think maybe the older I get the less I have patience for it, but um, yeah, it was exciting, man. I, I don't know. I it was just, I just wanted to do it all the time, and I did. I, I, I'd do projects all night and go to school at eight, or eight in the morning with, without having slept, and I didn't care. It didn't 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 matter. What mattered was making work, and I and I enjoyed it so much. But then I started taking having to take oil painting classes, which was nothing I, I really cared that much about in the beginning. Not that I cared about any specific medium other than drawing, because people weren't really digital painting back then too, too much. People were starting to like late nineties. Um, but once I started learning some oil painting, I was like hooked on that. And then the guys that I was teaching were like, or that were teaching me were old illustrators who were now doing fine art. And I'm like, so you get to paint what you want and make money? Like that's pretty cool. And that's when I started to really shift my my focus in school from wanting to be an illustrator to wanting to be a fine artist slash teacher, um, and then at some point in there, I think because of those Star Wars movies kind of coming out again, I was starting to think, well, maybe I want to do that. And we had some, and some of those, we had some serious teachers coming through that school who were working on Star Wars, and they, and, and so a lot of guys I know ended up actually working on Star Wars after they got out of school. But I just kept, kind of I continued to like focus on painting mostly, and then when I was graduating the Los Angeles Academy of figurative art was just in its sort of developmental stages and they were trying to find who they thought were the best painters from art center. So they just asked the people they knew and word got back to me and they asked if I wanted to start teaching. So I did. And a bunch of guys that I graduated with and some even of the instructors started kind of the core of the the group of teachers at that school. And that was in 2002, I think, that I started teaching there. So it's been a little while now. And that was it. Never looked back,
0: really. Wow. So you you said something there. If you don't mind, I just want to go back to it. You, you said that, that art schools now aren't really what they used to be. Um, what what do you mean by that, Sean, if you don't mind? I'd like to drill down into that. We We might have a similar point of view there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, well, one thing I think when people were older, there was – this, there was a little more of a frantic kind of hustle to like have a career and be successful and like figure it out that, that that kind of like drive you don't have when you're a teenager which is like you don't some people do but not everybody and now i've noticed like i taught at that school for 11 years i was full-time for i think five years or something so i had to teach a ton of classes and they're average now 17 18 19 entering so they're it's a very different mentality not only because of that age difference from when i was there but just like generationally too i think you know we didn't have much internet when i was there we didn't have cell phones that's for sure we did all our photo reference with disposable cameras and you had to go get them developed and wait a few days and then you gotta deal with what you got take it or leave it figure it out and then you play with a xerox machine and, and compose things and so like it's just a different different world, you know. So I can't it's not like I don't know if it's the students or or the the age or just the world itself, but yeah, that that kind of drive, that hustle, like when I was in school, there was everybody was good. Maybe one or two people weren't good, and then towards the end of my teaching there, I started to feel it was like one or two people were worth, you know, like focusing on because they really wanted it and a lot of the rest of the people just were there to go through the motions of going to college for their parents. And they happen to be rich wow. because it's an expensive school, you know? Yeah, you can't, like, in, in a school like that, like, it's, I think it's about $65,000 a year.
0: What? And
1: it's at least that. When I left, it was 20-something, 20, about 20 per term, and they do three a year. So that was 60 for the tuition. No dorms, no nothing else. That's just pure tuition. And so you're going to get people who have money because people who don't aren't going to be going to school there. Um there's scholarships and things like that, but you end up getting people who aren't as driven to like hustle and be beco- and you know do well because they don't come from that. They don't have to.
0: Let Let's say though you are one of those people that is driven and you want to hustle and you want this so bad to make it as an artist. Would you recommend to somebody who feels that way to go to art school? Would you say it's a beneficial thing to do?
1: I mean. I think it really depends on the individual. If you can get, like if you can go to art school and come out without debt, yeah, that'd be cool. If you can somehow get scholarship or maybe you have some sort of help, that would be great. Um, We don't get a ton of help in this country for things like that. Um, But I think if you just want to have an art career, or be, get good at it, whatever that is. I think there's way more affordable ways to get a completely focused education. And almost any artist you like is going to be teaching classes, sort of. I th- I mean, I feel like now it is. so you can get learn from each person you want to learn from for a, a fraction of the cost, and you still don't need a degree. I mean, no one's ever asked me for my degree. Oh, me too. My, my dog. Yeah, it's like I, I'm I. My, the FedEx guy threw it over the fence and my, we had a pit bull at the time and he chewed it open and then chewed the pack it's like I sent that to my parents you know it's like still got the chewed up corner on the nice outside but like literally that's what it was worth you know I think the connections I made in school you know were, were good and, and the, the work the, the, the sort of I think the um, the sort of work ethic I learned at the time I was in school was, was important too because people hustled people worked hard Teachers worked hard, students worked hard. It was it was inspiring, you know, and I, I made my lifelong friends there. I've got some friends from, like, high school days or whatever, but most of my core friends come from, like, my college years and, like, having been through this kind of thing together, coming up together or whatever.
0: That's awesome. So
1: I got a lot out of it, but I don't think I would say the skills, some of the skills, but also, like, like I said, like I always kind of drew and always came from that, and always had sort of an ability to draw in my family. Even my son, like he's an insane artist, like well above where I was at his age, even though I was doing it all the time. But now it's like the tools he has, and just like the fact that you know I have a ton of art around and, and things like that, and I'm always working. Like it, to him, I don't have to teach him. He doesn't want me to teach him. He mostly wants to teach me, but. He's like a sponge, and it's just like scary. Like he could be a working artist, you know. Now, really, with some of the stuff that he's doing, he's too young, but it's in the blood. He's ten. Ten. Oh, so maybe gee. maybe in five years, five yeah. years, I'll have him doing some freelance work. But yeah, he's like it's absolutely in his blood. There's there's no doubt about that. He is a, a freak of nature, and I think it's just like you know, there's a lot of a lot of it in the genes. I can't really claim I've worked as hard as some people, you know, I work hard, but not necessarily like how some people, some things like in painting and drawing have come easy to me, but it's just like some understanding, I guess, that has been, been around grandfather painted, sculpted, everyone was doing it. So, Mm -hmm. like I didn't, I didn't know any different.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think our, our backgrounds are, are very similar in that respect i mean i was raised by an artist uh, so it was always okay. there when i was you know growing up and it was and even when it came to that question of um you know well what are you going to do when what you when you grow up what are you, you going to do with yourself kid and it was like well i'm an artist now like even as a 10 year old you know when i was 10 i was like you know I, i'm an artist right now that is not going to change i'm, I'm always going to be doing this um that's awesome and then uh ended up you know doing a very silly thing you know going to university to study fine art and get a degree in fine art and that's when I suddenly realized huh there's more than one way to do this and there's more than one type of education I found myself in a completely foreign world and that's why you know when a lot of people ask me now about art school in particular you know having just you know talked about that it's um I, I think it's important to acknowledge as well that there's more than one type of school and there's more than one type of training. Definitely. Um yeah. and, and now, I don't know, Sean, I but but now I feel like maybe it's not as necessary as it once was. If you have that drive and that hunger, like you're saying, I mean, there's so many different artists out there. I mean, you could study online with you and, and your um uh NOH No Wave? Is it is it is it mm-hmm. or yeah. is, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's no wave. Uh, Yes. Yeah, the the academy you teach with and, and, and others, like you can study directly with Thomas Flew Hardy or Caesar Santos or all of these other, you know, yeah. fantastic draftsmen and, and, and artists out there, you know, all kinds of people out there and, and a lot of the material also is free. A lot of it's free if they've yeah. got a yeah, YouTube channel. So much.
1: I mean, that's how I learned so much about knives, the generosity of all these people that in that world, you know, it's the same. Like I so much free information if you want to look for it. Hmm. It's not even that hard to find. But yeah, and then also there's guys that you know, a lot of guys do the traveling workshops. So they're gonna show up in your town or your country or whatever, probably. I mean, I know I'm traveling all over the world, so I'm near somebody at some point if people wanna take classes and and like that part's better, you know. And then if you're in when you're studying with people like if you go to a university, you're gonna get a lot of classes and other teachers that might not do anything for you or mean anything for your career but like if you study with somebody you like and they like you and your work then you know I've given a lot of little jobs to students over the years you know my best either my TAs at school or students I had that were good and I think could handle it I would hand off jobs if if it was necessary and I got jobs that way I got into galleries that way so it was more about connections you know and I don't think art school is necessary for connections but more so I think in university you get less concentration of good art Instructors, anyway. Hmm. Maybe at an art school, you might like. I, I had a good amount of great teachers while I went, it, really inspiring teachers in my time, time at art school. It's ones that got me jobs, ones that screwed me over in jobs, you know, whatever. But like it, those were all learning experiences and they all came from that. As far as them teaching me how to draw better, a little bit, but barely. That was more just practice. But you know, you learn a lot of cool techniques. There's things like now I'm breaking out. I had to take, take, uh, like we had to learn all the shop tools and then do, you know, using the lathe and using vacuum forming and all these different things and sculpting wood and making perfect wood box, you know, things that like really don't have to do with illustration. But man, now I'm doing that stuff again, just like, here we go, carving wood again and trying to get it to a nice polish. So I think it was all handy, um, but I don't think it's the way to do it, not I don't think starting an art career with like a half a million dollars of debt or a quarter million or whatever you're going to be in is, is the right career for that.
0: I I just can't see the sense in it at all. uh, all. Like any, any debt at all. And I I think it really highlights the business models that, that, that a lot of these institutions are running. They make money out of having students and, and yeah, there, there's this, pressure and this push to get more and more people into their doors but like what you said I mean no one has ever asked me to show my degree ever Never. Uh, yeah, and no it, it's kind of disappointing I kind of like oh don't you want to see my piece of paper I'm qualified man yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. I got a gold stamp
0: I know it's crazy yeah, exactly. but it's, I do uh, one of
1: my buddies it was a he remembered the quote, by one of the teachers at school said, "A good portfolio opens doors. That's all that matters. Your work,
0: a hundred percent. Yeah, that's
1: all that matters. That's all they want to see. They don't care if you went to Art Center. I mean, maybe they do. And even if you like took some classes and dropped out, you could still put Art Center on your education. You don't have to put the degree name. I've seen that too. That might help. I don't know. Just say." Yeah education art center took some night classes there or something, but whatever, but absolutely a good portfolio will get you the job well before your degree will do anything for you it's, other than the debt part.
0: I mean, it's, it's so uh, that's, that's, that's it in a nutshell, every, I mean, even if you were going for a job, I bet if you were going to go and work at a, well, let's just, let me just pick one randomly out of the hat. Let's say I wanted to get a job with Weta workshops in Wellington, uh, you know, working on, Hobbit films or Avatar or whatever the latest film is going to be, I I went in there and I talked to them several years ago and I just said, look, just mm-hmm. out of curiosity, what what would it take to get into this and and to to you know do this? And they just said your portfolio, just what can you do? Yeah, what can you do? Like right. not not where did you study? What did you learn? What piece of paper do you have? What can you draw? What can you paint? Yeah, what's your mind look like? Like how know. how how can you? Do? That's the proof right there, and um, yeah. I think the most important aspect there then is just a, you know, sheer will and work ethic, right?
1: Yeah. And that's something you can't always teach. You know, you can inspire people to work harder, but that's either there, or it's not, I feel like, for the most part. But yeah, it's your, it's your portfolio, really. That's why I think my son's probably just going to start working when he's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Because his portfolio already stacked and like, I don't know and he's not slowing down like I I don't even he doesn't live with me I live with us at all so like nowadays we can because he doesn't have to go to school anymore which is cool Um, but yeah he's just on it all day every day whether I'm around or not he's making something he's just his brain is on fire with it and so I love it you know I'll keep kind of nurturing it but I don't like push it I don't you know i never make him do art it's just like if he wants to do it then we'll do it most of the time it's him forcing me to do something and, I'll be, and i i won't ever say no because i want to just like help him figure it out but most of the time he's making me do it i'm not making him do it
0: that's awesome that's awesome that's one driven driven guy right there that's cool that's yeah, cool he's
1: what, just inspired
0: what kind of stuff is does he does he love to draw and paint
1: i mean he's really all over the place like this he was here for like a week and a half and we were doing schoolwork. and we were he's he's really gotten to skateboarding recently so he's doing a little bit of skateboard graphics and stuff and he he does a, he's great on the ipad as far as just illustrating anything he did a bunch of cool like kind of cute uh, vegetables that were really highly kind of modeled but like with little happy faces and stuff kind of similar to somebody we saw on instagram but then he's just like knocking them out there'd be like a a 10 minute illustration that looks finished, but you can't believe it only took 10 minutes and it records it on the iPad. So you're like, seriously, in 10 minutes, you're going to do something like that. I'm going to put you to work. So you make <laughs> a lot of money quickly. But then we do like, an- we did animations. Like we we'll, we, I might post it later, but we did like a little, and we will do like animations, like fight battle animations where we do stick figures. He does one, I do the other. And we sort of like move until one attacks and kind of defend. And it's kind of fun. You know, we just go through that. But we did one with a whole silhouette of these samurai guys, and it came out so good. He did most of it, but it's like, it's crazy what he's doing, and he's playing music now and all that too. So he's really into uh, Michelangelo's his favorite artist, and so he's into like sort of anatomical studies of things as well, just like drawing torsos and draws like he like has he's d- developed like this the the like statue of David like the, the face like he just always draws that like it's, it's a go to go-to character so yeah he's just kind of all over place. he's got the right ideas he's it's like for me it's super fun hmm. i'm sure he'd be down to work on movies but he just does he i think part of it is that he thinks i can do anything like because with the building and stuff like that so he thinks like whatever he wants to do he just tells me and we'll have to figure it out like we we're doing some concrete work recently to build these little mini skate parks for his like fingerboards, and now we're taking wood veneers and making plywood fingerboards and like a press. And then we're doing all graphics on them and stuff. So just all wow. kinds of building and and creating. And it's really fun, you know, but every once in a while he thinks I can build something that's way out of my reach. <laughs> uh, can you like give a, me, like a, give me an example. Like a, probably like a motorcycle or something like no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like something really serious. I've got some tools and some knowledge, but yeah. He just thinks it's endless, and that's great. I love that. I want to keep that going with him, yeah. because it's true. The more you learn about how to make stuff or build stuff, the more things seem easy. And like now, I never thought I'd be making tools, and now I make tools to like make new tools or whatever, you know. And it's it's amazing. It's super fun.
0: Yeah, I saw a um. I I I'm pretty sure I saw this. I, I'm hoping I didn't imagine or dream this, but I saw probably the the most beautiful palette knife ever. yeah show me okay so i wasn't just imagining things i i remember saying just god damn that is badass
1: so i learn you know i'm learning learning to forge this is one i made like um a while ago so you can see some of the patterning and stuff wow yeah so i uh just figured you know that i forged knives i might as well forge a palette knife because i had a little cut off from a billet i made a kitchen knife out of Um, so when I was at the forge, I just started pounding one out and just to see if I could get it to spring and all that and, and work that small. And then the one I did more recently, I'm I'm kind of learning more about Damascus and how to kind of make it prettier. And it was another piece of uh, cut off of some Damascus from another knife and I just more forging. So this is it at its like kind of pre handle stage. This will go into the handle and be glued and awesome. Just sort of all one piece of steel.
0: That is gorgeous. I don't even
1: use I don't even use palette knives at all.
0: Well, I'll use it. But Send it to it's me. Like a, <laughs> I know
1: I got a lot of people like well, I'll take it. I use them to clean up, but I figured you know I might as well make one of the tools that is part of the the kit. You know, and if I can kind of get this to work out, maybe I can start selling them. But like. Like For just this blade, I've spent three days because I had to forge it, then grind it, then heat treat it, and then a lot of finishing, polishing to get, bring out the Damascus through acids and coffee and all kinds of stuff. Wow. So like for me to do that as a, as a business is ridiculous. If someone wants to pay me my day rate for a palette knife, then they're going to be somebody who's very rich and probably not going to use the palette knife. But as far as making these for artists, I don't think it's going to happen unless I hire someone else to make them for me, and then it's just kind of not that thing anymore.
0: Yeah, so we're we're talking a five thousand dollar palette knife for thereabouts, right?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, I could probably <laughs> knock one out in a couple days for two thousand. I don't know, but we'll see. Oh wow! And and okay. the thing is, I love I love putting the Damascus like patterns on them, you know, because it's just unique. And if I'm going to make something one of a kind, I might as well. But it's terrible for a surface to 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 paint with or, or mix with because it leaves the texture. There's ways to make the pattern show up without the texture, but I figured, you know, if it's going to be a unique handmade palette knife, it'll have a unique handmade footprint too. Yeah, might as well. It's, it's not your everyday user, I suppose. It's not the it's not the car that you drive every day. It's your your weekend car, <laughs> or maybe it's the one you just hang on the wall. But it functions well,
0: so that's cool. Yeah, very cool, very yeah. cool. So, um let, let I, we're jumping around a little bit here. And but I, again, I just want to, anytime I have the opportunity to talk to somebody like yourself, Sean, I, I kind of want to get a little bit more of a snapshot and the and, and a kind of an insight into how your uh, art business and again, current global situation to one side, but a bit of a snapshot as to how your art business works. And, and I want to ask you about galleries and how you found your experience working with galleries because you seem to be and and forgive me if i've got this wrong but you seem to be an artist who's very much occupying both spaces as somebody that will do work on a one-on-one basis but then also somebody who is represented and highly respected within that world as well how do you manage both of those things
1: i think uh, you know when i got out of school galleries were pretty relevant still you know, the internet was still kind of it was it wasn't at all new, but it wasn't like it is today. So people, I was still handing out business cards. I was still, you know, having to send handwritten letters to galleries or whatever back then. So, you know, it was the way. It was it was what you had to do if you wanted to do that thing when I was getting out of school, and I respected that. And it was and it was fine. And and you know, I had galleries. I remember it was like, well, you never show with another gallery that's in the same area, or you know, you never sell outside of a gallery, all these little things that like galleries sort of treated as their etiquette or whatever. But I never really dug that either. I was always just kind of like, you guys, I'm not signing that contract. I'll show with you. Yeah, we'll do 50%. But I'm going to show here too. And I'll show there. I'll be respectful, you know, in in maybe one town and, and within a few months or something. But like, I never really wanted to buy into that, like, gallery etiquette or like you know don't sell outside of the gallery to collectors every collector wants to buy outside of the gallery every collector wants to go and and I kind of respect it I mean we'll go to the gallery and buy the painting since then I've collected a lot of like contacts from collectors and so like over the years I just started when I in between galleries or whatever I'd have them come straight to me and I just started to realize like at some point I was selling more than all my galleries combined so I didn't really need to like Rely on that as much. It didn't seem right to rely on that when they didn't guarantee me anything except that they were going to take fifty percent if they sold something, and that never feels good. Whether like I would hate selling little studies where like maybe I would, you know, make a couple grand, but then I was like, then or even if it was like in the fifteen hundred range or something, but then I get half. It's like now I'm just getting like seven hundred fifty bucks. I'd rather keep the piece. Um, But then you get into like a forty thousand dollar painting and it's like whoa now they get $20,000 for doing nothing and you know just kind of like so for me now like i i'll do some gallery shows cuz they're good and i the most recent gallery I'm, i i've shown with was Maxwell Alexander and they do a smaller percentage and they're way cool it's more like working with peers and I, and i appreciate that but other than that like i'm kind of out of the gallery scene i, I actually um, was supposed to have a solo show at Maxwell Alexander this year, and I just kept having to push it off because I kept having to take jobs that I knew were going to pay me. And in the meantime, I was just like not working on that show, not inspired really to like sit down and do that because I had to pay bills and, and work. And um, so that I ended up canceling it indefinitely and just might not revisit. We'll see. I don't. I just don't know anymore about like doing a solo show in a traditional sense, you know kind of glad I didn't do it now considering like a lot of the solo shows are having to go online anyway. It's like, well, I can do that too. You know, I don't need a gallery to do it for me.
0: How, how would that, that's a really interesting idea because I've seen a lot of artists doing this. And I think now with, with what the world is facing, it seems that this is going to be a, a relevant mode. How would one, talk me through this. How would you do a, a solo show digitally online?
1: I don't have a clue. I wouldn't <laughs>
0: how I would do it because I'm like, well, why would I even begin
1: to like put any effort? They're they're it's like when they have a gallery, sure, okay, you got rent to pay, so now I'm renting your walls, and we'll, there's part of my fifty percent. But now we're not renting walls. I I mean, we'd have to change the percentage. I absolutely wouldn't, which I'm sure most galleries don't want to because they have still got those buildings they got to pay rent on whether they're using them or not. But like to me it seems crazy like people who are doing that right now it's it's unfortunate because there's no other way i'm sure but like i hope they're changing the percentages because that's really unfair if they're still taking 50 percent and dealing with all that
0: well well that's that's if you're doing your solo digital show uh through a gallery which i think would be insane okay, so, but well let's say you were doing yeah. it yourself as a solo artist you know sean cheatham if you were to say and again, like this, this, I'm asking you, cause I'm an artist that, that, that doesn't like solo shows. I, I think it's, they're problematic. They don't make any business sense whatsoever, but this yeah. just happens to be the thing that the trap that we've, we've built for ourselves and artists have solo shows. So like, if you right. were going to do okay. that as a, as a working artist and have your own solo show digitally, what would be some of the ways that you would go about that independent away from, from the gallery?
1: oh, God, I don't even know if I'd even want to do that. I mean, I would just put up a store, you know, just put up a store with prices, I guess. I'm even trying to figure that out because I don't want to put – I don't always think it's great to put prices on the Internet, you know? Like, not all the prices. It's a tough one. It doesn't look cool to have – I mean, you add to cart $45,000, seems pretty ridiculous. Like, no (laughs) one's doing that, so why even have it on there? It just makes you look ridiculous. But also, like, I come from – I do come from a time when, like, there weren't so many people selling on the internet. There's a lot of amazing, talented artists out there selling stuff for prices I would never sell my work for because I don't come from that. Like, I am not dropping my prices 75% because everyone else is selling for lower. You know, I'm kind of old school a little bit, and so I have to stick to it, but it does hurt me now because I can't just post up Even my studies are more expensive than people's sort of finished pieces a lot, and, I, and it makes me feel kind of weird, you know? It's not... It's not because of how I feel about myself. It's just because of how I was brought up in the gallery world. I didn't set my prices. Galleries set my prices, but I've stuck to them. And, you know, and I'm not going to go down now because that's like a death of a career. I feel like if you start lowering all your prices. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, at some point maybe you have to. But that's what I like about the kind of the deals outside of galleries. I can give a better price, you know, and I still make more money. And they can get a better deal. And then you can develop a better relationship and connection with, with the collectors. You know? mm. it's, it, galleries hate that, of course, because that, then it just shows that they're useless. And mm. a lot of them are. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, not all of them. I've had, you know, I've had important relationships with galleries that have helped my career. And I, and I cherish those. But like a lot of the galleries I've gone through just wanted to make their 50%.
0: It's it's tough finding a good one. I, I've been I've been very fortunate. I found a few really fantastic people to work with in my career that did help establish those prices. And, and I'm a bit like you as well. Like I mean, when when that market value gets established and and that's set, it's it's difficult to come back down again. It is a, a kiss of death in your career. You've worked like heck to try and push those prices to that level. Once you're there, why? Why undercut yourself or the overall market value by, you know, offering a discount to somebody or turning around and 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 just like cutting 50% off that value? To, to yeah. claw your way back is just so much more work. But that said, there's, there's a guy that I interviewed, uh, a real hero of mine, his name is Brendan Darby, and people might remember him from, I think, episode four of the podcast and he was saying, you know, isn't it interesting that other art industries will will do this with their value. It'll be up, it'll be down, it'll go through all right. of this, you know, th- this real, you know, tumultuous line. If you, if you just plot that across a graph, you see like, you know, real estate, you know, even the dollar value, uh, stocks, right, all yeah. that stuff. Why not art as well? Like why doesn't art seem to do that as well? Uh, because what, from the artist's point of view, in a time like this we can't readily readjust because that person that spent 40,000 bucks, you know, a few years right. ago, you can't just say oh it's it's 20,000 now.
1: No, not at all. Like you've just really upset some I'd be pissed if I was that collector. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be inspired to spend twenty thousand on something new because I could get a deal. I'd be like, wait, I paid forty thousand now. I feel like you owe me a free painting <laughs> or something. Yeah, you can't do that. That's that's the biggest part is like the fact that I have these people who have supported me and then I'm gonna go and just be like, Well now I'm just kidding. I was kidding about those prices back then. You know, you can't do that. I mean, I think that's where like I don't know, do I put like the real price and then say discount it or I think selling privately is fine, making those deals, you know, blind to the public is, is, is better. I don't I, I don't mind giving I like giving deals to collectors that come back and you know, and, and, and I don't mind a little bit of a of a haggle too. I did learn that from one of my collectors once. He one of the first big deals I did it was like in a parking lot after a workshop and it was like honestly for I don't remember it was over fifteen thousand dollars worth of stuff you know just a couple studies and a couple pieces and then but it was like this guy who had a good amount of money and and I was just we were in the parking lot and he was like he's you know I said this and then he said this and I just watched it go closer to his number I'm like, oh my god this is happening like I'm losing this like negotiation because <laughs> of how and I learned so much from that one deal that now he says like you're the hardest person to haggle with I'm like dude that's from you that was all because of you because of that first deal we did like but he calls me like really like I'm tough now like that was absolutely because of you early in the career
0: awesome And like man. yeah
1: I don't I, I don't mind that a little bit but I do think yeah I'll give I give plenty of deals to collectors outside of galleries, but it's all based on like a market price and then I'll say, okay we can give a deal you know whatever it's fine like even if it's 75 percent of the price that's I'm still making more money than I would have if I sold it through a gallery
0: it's It's interesting though, because again, in a situation like what we have now, you know if you're not able to come out adjust your prices publicly um you will be you know yeah doing the wheeling and dealing behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. My my thinking, though, is like, okay, how do you even reach those people in the first place now? Because they used to be everywhere and people had money and people were like really excited and and enthusiastic about things. And and now that the economy is going to take a massive punch in the guts, you know, we as artists now selling original work have got to be light on our feet. Where do we go to find those collectors, Sean? What do you think? What do you have any strategies? Or do you have anything in your mind about? Okay, I, I'm now going to go back to my personal list, or I'm going to go down to the the golf club or whatever. Like, what, do you, do you have any idea how how you're going to do this?
1: I don't actually really for that. I don't think that's why earlier I was talking about like more thinking more about just the the, the teaching and the more affordable things for people because I I just think like right now I can't. I, I wouldn't even feel right like trying to. Lockdown new collectors i i I don't know where to go i i have i have regular ones and they're still supportive i think you know i don't think as many are affected but yeah i can't even imagine if i had to go looking for new collectors right now i think in general not just with the whole um covid problem and all the lockdown with anybody now who's just started through since social media who's started careers like i don't really know how to like get like when working with students to tell them where to begin as as much you know it's it's a different world there's access to everybody but like there's a lot more distance between people in some ways or walls you know it's it's weird so i don't really have a. luckily i i have collectors and galleries and interests from people from years before so it helps me but to to try and help a student start fresh right now i would be be like, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. I think connections are huge. You know, and so like it's always word of mouth, and a lot of my stuff came from like impressing the right people, who then passed it on to the right, the next right person, and and that's just something that like to me is confusing right now for people. So I don't, I don't really know what. I wouldn't know what to do, and and so that's why I'm going to lean towards my teaching, which I've done for for a long time, because I know everybody wants to learn right now. There's a lot of interest in that. And that's also why I backed out of kind of the galleries for for years is because teaching I was gonna do these solo shows and, and stuff and focus on them. but then like I got hired full time so I had a salary now, which was great. 15 hours a week for a salary job with benefits and everything, working um, we would do you know we had big breaks for summer middle parts of summer and Christmas and stuff so like it was a good job. And then I got to private teaching some people who were really, you know, big time Hollywood people who would pay me really well to do weekly classes. So I'm doing that, and then the full time, and then I'm traveling. I get to go to Italy and teach workshops. All of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? Teaching is great. I'm gonna just like teach people because it's paying me a lot. People love it, and it's it's fun. You know, I, I enjoy it. I'm more introverted, but through you know, almost you know 18 years now, actually of teaching, like. I've, I'm comfortable teaching. So like, I just started to say, well, you know, I'm going to embrace teaching because it's been good to me. And so that's where like right now too, I meant, well, I guess I'll just focus on the teaching again because that's what people want. I keep having people ask me if I can do some online classes. So got a camera. I got it. I'm going to try a few out this week and see how it goes and maybe start uploading videos, you know, but I got to deal with that part of it that I'm not used to. But I have a lot of, I have a lot of like uh, procreate footage and stuff saved and, and and i love doing that and so if i can kind of teach in a more digital way i think it'll work best for the medium you know and then i'll figure out how to do the oil stuff too but honestly i still just want to make knives but i know that's not realistic unless i start selling them i'm gonna to have to start actually responding to those people that want to buy them
0: wow well, yeah yeah well the knives are a thing of beauty but but again you got to have your your side passion right i mean that, that the whole idea yeah. behind that was to have something that wasn't work
1: Yeah, very much so. But I I guess at some point, I'm going to have way too many knives to even like, I'll just have to start selling them off, which will be fine. (laughs) That's what that's when I will let go of them, I suppose.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Let me um, before we wrap this up, uh, I would would be an absolute crime to have you on the podcast if I didn't ask you for some technical little nuggets of wisdom here, Sean. Um, And seeing as you are a teacher let me let me let, let's go ahead and let's dive into your process a little bit here i would love to know just in general let's say you're going to paint a portrait and the the painting i'll tell you the painting that i have in in that little desktop folder i can't remember the title because again you know when you're surfing the internet you just right click save image as um but it's a it's a girl sitting in a chair And she's got this most amazing sleeve tattoo down her arm. She's got her hair done. Mm -hmm. And I I can't remember if it's like... A feathers or or a chopstick or some yep. like elaborate kind of hair thing but kind of tied yep. back but she's a striking striking woman and and that that sleeve the way you painted that tattoo and just it's, it had a real painterly feel but then it was like mm-hmm. tight and honed and detailed in just the right places it was incredible incredible work of thank art
1: thank you uh, i enjoyed that one too
0: yeah that, that's going back a ways though isn't it like how, how many years old would, would that piece be
1: I'm gonna probably it's over ten thirteen fourteen, wow, probably from that show, maybe fifteen years from that solo show that it was about fifteen I think I had that solo show was oh five oh six somewhere around there okay. um yeah she she was like when I was showing at that gallery, it was the economy was good it was my first kind of major gallery first place I did a solo show those guys like while I was there for that like year and a half two years my prices went up like 400%. They sold probably 90% of what I did. It was great. Great relationship. I got to really be exposed to a lot of cool things and it helped my career. And they were you know super nice. They would they would as far as galleries go like they'd do the full page ads and I knew they were costing them like $10,000 for these full page ads in like Art in America magazine and things like that. And that's where like the gallery kind of shows you know, that they care about you. We're like, you know, I'm doing something, you're doing something. Um, And that was great. And I had like, she was a, she's a friend of mine and just, you know, I I was painting on my friends, but something about her spoke to a lot of people. And I, and I kind of same, uh, a different painting of her though, was in the BP portrait award in Oh five and was used on the banners and the museum and the catalog and stuff. So there was a lot of demand for paintings of her and she was fun to paint. She's a a good friend of mine. And um, that painting, was I think the colors of it probably, like the tattoo against the oranges in her dress was were really striking. But technically, as far as that one goes, I um, she was posing for one of my classes at, at the L.A. Academy. And they had nice skylights, so I just brought a camera and took some pictures. Because we used to just do a lot of photo shoots to figure out different paintings of her. And then uh, from, I don't remember how I, I don't remember what the underpainting looks at, like. But mostly I will draw, I think I drew it on paper. Because I remember selling a pencil drawing of it, too. Don't have records of it. But a lot of times back then, I'd draw it on paper, fully realized in pencil, and then blow it up to the size and do a transfer. And then I'd take acrylic and just do a few little washes, sort of to just seal. It's like my sealer, but sort of looking over the shapes. You know, If I have more or less time, I'll, I'll adjust the amount of color I put into that. Maybe I just use black gesso on a white gesso acrylic gesso or maybe I use like a burnt umber to introduce a temperature maybe if there's like red moments like lips or accents I'll just use a little red acrylic and just stain it but I treat it kind of like a watercolor over a tight drawing once that's dry which is you know I'd at least give it a day then I go straight in with oils treating it similar to like I would paint from life where I just lay in my tiles one by one and I get it covered wet into wet and then I blend it all out wet into wet Really, it's um, I would say the oil on that, that. So that portrait, that the head is one layer on top of that drawing. It's one layer of oil. The arm I remember took me a full like five hour session because of just like getting the the skin to model with a graphic design on top of it. I have a, I had a way that I'd figured out to do that too, just by kind of painting it very boldly with um, as if it was like tattoos. Don't appear that great when they look too sharp. So I would paint it really sharp. And then take like my, I get like um, my little brushes. I don't have any right here, but when they start to get damaged and they fray and they start to turn out, they just become mini fan brushes. So then I draw it really graphic and tight and let it sit for a while, so it just got kind of absorbed into the ground. And I just take those brushes and kind of tap at it, and it bleeds out the tattoo, but it's all realized in in sort of direct paint, and that just kind of controls the edges between it. And so the face is the same thing, like paint it paint like with sort of tiles or, or direct marks wet into wet on top of the um, acrylic stuff, and then just take those beat up brushes that are that are now miniature fan brushes and just feather them until they look more realistic, just removing the transitional kind of edges awesome. here and there wherever I want. So it's the, a very fast way to do it.
0: So essentially it's just one layer of oil then over your acrylic underpainting, yeah. just one layer of oil. Yeah. Wow. I
1: pretty much only paint one layer of oil because I trained so much a la prima painting Going to school at Art Center, we never did a painting from life that was more than one sitting of five hours. So my training is purely in that. My long pose drawing was 20 minutes. You know, we didn't, we never did a full drawing for five hours in a class, let alone for like weeks on end. It was like fast stuff, illustration, quick sketch, and and learning to paint wet and you know wet into wet. And then I, so that's the kind of an, an illustration approach in some way, really focusing on the underpainting, underdrawing, whatever you're doing um, and having that be the thing that sort of guides where the finish is going. I'm not sitting there being painterly and trying to figure it out in oil paint. I've already figured it out in Photoshop, in the photography, in the underdrawing, in the acrylic. Then when I'm doing oil, it's just like a job, just boom, 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 as fast as I can go i'm not doing it to like try and prove anything about speed but like that's just the training you know time is money as an illustrator so i've I've learned to paint quickly
0: that's that's fantastic what what do you what do you say to those snot-nosed critics who say you shouldn't be painting or drawing from photographs
1: i don't care i mean the people are definitely surprised when they find out every single one of my my gallery pieces is painted from photographs like I, you know, I don't, there's a lot of that. There's a lot, there's also like the guys that only use like natural hair brushes, minor, are, minor are nylon. I'm fine with nylon. You know, I don't care. Um, I, I love acrylics. I love digital. Like now I'm doing digital painting. There's a lot of people that kind of are surprised that I'm doing that. I've even had close friends who are like, well, it doesn't even exist. I'm like, that's actually the part I love that like, there's so much freedom to, to that for me that where oh, that's i just wonderful. like it's not even real i love it i'm just it's just purely the act of mark making you know and i and i dig that about it mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there's a lot i think you know there's a lot of like critics you know who think there's a, a way to do it and i'm i'm not the guy to i'm either the guy to prove it wrong or I, I or the guy to not care because i'll do it i like anything it's all valid to me i do try and create some rules here and there just for people and learning but For the most part, if I think I tell somebody something, I'd hope they try and break it and figure out why it does or doesn't work based on my opinion.
0: That's great to hear you say that, yeah, because that's something that I, uh, well, the the best place to find this sort of criticism is in the YouTube comment section. uh, Oh, my God. For for the most part, it's really cool. For the most part, people are awesome. 99.99999% but occasionally okay. uh, it only takes one little turd in a punch ball to ruin a perfectly good punch, you know, but, right. <laughs> but this uh, very much, Oh, you know, I, 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 I get it quite a bit with, with the photography, but I, I sometimes find that working from photographs is, especially if you're hiring a model, if you're paying them yeah. money and then it's like, Oh, by the way, what are you doing for the next couple of weeks? You know, some of my paintings take right. quite a long time, you know, it's just yeah. not feasible.
1: No, it's not, and I and I think and I do think like there's a lot of limits to painting from from life only like your angle or action or motion or, or the pose you know people get really stiff when sitting for a long time their expressions are changing and and I like energy and life in a painting and like I paint from life so much so like there's that too it's just like if you want to have a competition in painting a model from life I'm down but like I don't care whether you do it from life or from a photo if it's about something to prove. I'll have the battle with you. You know, that's fine. Um, same thing with, like, tracing. Like, I, as an illustrator, you're taught to trace very early on. It doesn't mean I do it that way. You know, you can't do that from life, but, like, it doesn't mean I don't do that. If I'm doing a job, if you say you do a commissioned portrait of somebody, why am I going to sit and prove to myself I can draw it rather than make the money I'm being promised and just trace it out and get the thing started, you know? Like, no one's paying me to sit there And prove something about my ego or skills they're paying me for this painting and that's all I care about and if I can like finish the painting quicker for a job and go on to making knives and that's all I want that's good for me you know if that's if it's about like the, the ego of doing it from observation or whatever that is that's fine too I don't think it's a substitute like I think people should learn how to draw because I think people who only trace don't really know that much about other things that people who have studied actual forms and and, and life and observed the light and things like that um can do but i also on the other hand just don't a lot of people think photos aren't good enough i think photos are great i love a bad photo it gives me so much freedom to just paint things that i know from painting from life
0: absolutely man in fact that's an idea that i've been playing with for a long time is is uh you know for for a for a youtube video tutorial on taking some of my worst reference material and turning it into something awesome you know yeah. and because we, you know and a lot of people go oh we use photographs so that's how you do everything and and so you made that up or you, you can't say you made that up because you know we we now know you you trace from photographs or whatever but i'm like if you saw my reference file there are hundreds of images there and i've never found one that i really wanted to copy or or like yeah. trace or, or work directly from but there'll be just the seed of an idea here or there But I I, I love that idea of just taking something that is like the crappiest bit of reference material and just making something from that. I think that would be insanely cool.
1: Yeah, I'm going to do this um, huge fight scene um, painting and I'm going to do it with no wave. We're going to record a video, but it's going to be like maybe eight feet square or something as big as I have to just find the biggest canvas I can get that's affordable. And it's going to have probably 20 figures just like like a battle relief sculpture you know like you'd see in rome or something but like so it's just bodies and no environment and just dark background but all the photos that like i have so far like i just used a really bright spotlight and the slow motion capture video because that's i wanted to people just to move around and just snap shapes you know and like i love it when some of the faces are just a big white blur with a silhouette i'm like that's great i'm so excited about painting that like Figuring out how to make that look interesting, even though most people would be like, Well, you can't paint from that. It's like, I love how terrible it looks. It's going to give me a lot of chances to just play around with the paint. Awesome. And I think that's also part of just like having studied illustration. It was a lot of problem solving, a lot of doing it however you can get it done. But, but that includes tracing sometimes, and that's okay. You know, I, I'm fine with it. I'm not the snob about that. I'll teach people to trace, but I kind of hold out on telling them about it until they kind of learn some things about just doing it from observation. But there's nothing wrong with, like, if you're doing a movie poster or whatever, why the hell would you try and, like, prove that you can draw that actor's face instead of just trace it and have fun painting it?
0: That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that just, you know, we, we should – the art should come first and we should be relaxed about these things. Get all that those rules and, and things that we build up. Get that out of the way and just start start making it you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Rules are fine. They're good. They're guidelines, I guess, you know, like I do a few things like I don't use pure white ever, but like, there's always a time to use pure white. Sure. Mm. But if you're observing nature, maybe there's no pure white possibly, you know, there's Mm. always a color to it. But, but then again, like sure, there's a time where it'll work and you'll never see it.
0: Yeah. So the, the BP portrait award, that's, um, that's quite a prestigious award. Did you, did you say you won that? back in 2000. I didn't win
1: at all. Um, I was just used on the catalog, which like littered the bookstore and like was on the banners and it was on the posters all over London, but I didn't win a dime. Um, I know at the time, nobody outside of the UK had ever won it. And so I think, you know, I I talked to an artist, I became friends with a guy who had been in it many times, an older guy. And he was like, yeah, there's no way they would let an American win it. Like, Okay. Just wanted to make sure it was politics and not something else. Because they used me for all advertising. So in some way that was like I'm sure a lot of exposure and helpful. But I didn't get to go see it. I couldn't afford to go out there. I didn't if I won the money, I might have been able to go out there. But at the time it was the dollar was weak and the pound was strong and it was twenty five thousand pounds, which was fifty thousand US dollars and like it was a huge prize cost me a lot of money to get this tiny little painting there and back because they also didn't allow at the time that you had to hand deliver your paintings unwrapped i'm like well what's that mean and they're like i don't know figure it out if you want to submit from the u.s you gotta figure it out so i had to call ship it to some art company who i paid to like unpackage it and hand deliver it that wasn't even something they did but they just i talked to a guy who said they could do it for me wow and it, it, it ended up costing me so much money to get this little painting there and back and i didn't win anything and I'm sure I got exposure, but it's hard to know now what I got out of it. Other than a lot of people thinking I won, but I didn't win. My my
0: apologies. I mean, I I think I was assuming that as well because I, um, yeah. (laughs) Okay. My bad, Sean.
1: Oh, no, it's fine. No, no, totally. I'm I'm fine with that. You know, I think it's funny. It's funny that they do that. They still do it. So it's cool that they give all the advertising to somebody that they don't Find is worthy of a prize I don't quite understand it but I mm-hmm. would think first place should be the one that gets advertised and gets all the money would make the most sense
0: yeah would you, would you enter again
1: I would it's easier now you just submit digitally which is really cool and then, the, and then, you know, if you get to make it to the next round, I submitted to the one in the U S they have the outwind boot or whatever that one's at the Smithsonian. That one's cool too, because it's a digital thing. And and I like their thing because if you get past that first digital round, they send a courier to pick up package, insure everything. All you gotta do is hand over the painting unwrapped. That's cool. Right. Right. But I just, you know, I'm really good at like not winning competitions <laughs> I think the only art competition I ever won was when I was ten for like a Pinocchio thing. Got first place. Wow. That's like the last time.
0: Isn't that something? So you've entered a few, but you've you've come up. I've entered,
1: yeah, but or or grants and things. You know things that I know a lot of people who have gotten. I just don't get them. I'm just like I don't know what to do. I don't. Am I overqualified? Underqualified? Am I talking too much? Is my work too like dark and weird for certain venues, which I have experienced. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like the more of those I do, the less of them I want to do. Fair enough. Unless any of them had extra, had ever paid me, but I think I've never won a dime, so.
0: Uh, I can it relate. It doesn't
1: make me want to do it again. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I've entered many. Uh, I've never won one. The only award I've ever yeah. won was given to me in high school. Um, it was called the Alina Brady Art Award back in the day from Applecross Senior High School in Perth in Western Australia. And uh, nice. we're proud of that award. And um, I know a little bit about Alina's story, but um, she was a yeah particularly dedicated student. Um, in the art department at at this high school, and she unfortunately died um, very young. And they created this award to go to whoever showed either promise or was really dedicated to their art. But it was something that was awarded by other students to give to the kid who they thought was probably the weird art kid, and I was that kid. So oh, I was well, like, well, oh, let's nice. give it to this guy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm proud of that award. I mean, if that's the only award I ever win, I, I'm I'm totally cool with that. Now I just, uh, yeah, screw them. I, I'm not even going to enter now. And, and, I, and maybe yeah, it's a little bit like throwing my toys out of the pram and just going, yeah, no, screw you guys. I'm going home. I'm not doing this.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing. Yeah, a couple, especially with some of the grants. Like, there's a few grants that I that I had tried for, and it's just like I've I've had friends who get them, and they're a lot of money. And then it's just like God, I, and I don't want to write. I'm not a writer, but that's all it is is writing and then gathering. I'm not good at organizing my files, you know, trying to get all my stuff photographed and everything too. So it's just like I don't know. It's not the work I want to do, but I know it'd be helpful.
0: Well, look, um, Sean, this is um, this has been great having a chance to to chat with you and uh and finally meet you as i said i'm a huge fan i I love your work i love what you're doing not only with your paintings and and drawings but the teaching and and also the knives huge fan of that maybe maybe i can get if not a little study or a painting one day maybe uh maybe i can i can buy a knife off you one of those signature palette knives
1: (laughs) yeah that'd be cool that would be awesome well yeah really appreciate you having me
0: on Awesome, Matt. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on this episode of The Creative Endeavor.
1: Thank you very much. You're welcome.
0: Well, I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast, and a huge thank you to Sean Cheatham for joining me. Now, of course, you can find Sean Cheatham on Instagram. Follow him at Sean Cheatham, and that last name is spelt C-H-E-E-T-H-A-M. He can also be found on his website at www.seancheathamfineart.com. I'm sure you're going to be just as blown away as I am when you see his work. Now, if you can take a minute for me, do me a huge favor. Leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. It would make a huge difference to me and this show to help it become a little more discoverable. This show is creeping up there in the charts, and I have you to thank for that. Thank you so much for giving me your feedback and taking a moment to give me those ratings and reviews. I really, really do sincerely appreciate it. Now, I have taken a little while off from doing the podcast, but now I'm looking forward to getting back in the swing of things. And I've got a few episodes up my sleeve, so I'm going to be bringing this back as a weekly show. As so you've got more content to look forward to from me. But also, you might be wondering about the video version of these podcasts. If you didn't know, there is always a video version uploaded to YouTube. In the past, I had uploaded to my normal YouTube channel, Andrew Tischler Artist, but now there's a brand new YouTube channel which is just dedicated to the podcast and all the podcasts as a video in future will be uploaded to that new YouTube channel. Simply search The Creative Endeavor on YouTube. And also I've set up a BitChute channel so you can find this on BitChute as well. Simply search Andrew Tischler or The Creative Endeavor Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for tuning in. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to being with you again very, very soon in a brand new installment of The Creative Endeavor.